The Scotiabank Healthcare Plus Physician Banking Program was co-designed with MD Financial Management for Canada's physicians by combining MD's 50-year history of working exclusively with physician households and Scotiabank's expertise in banking, we're able to provide specialized advice and unique financial solutions tailored to your needs at every stage of your career. We're better together and more committed than ever to Canada's physicians. Find out more about how we can help you and visit www.md.ca slash healthcare plus. To shingles, age isn't just a number. Do you have patients 50 or older? They're at higher risk of getting shingles. Don't wait. Talk about Shingrix with your patients over 50 today. Shingrix is indicated for the prevention of herpes zoster, HZ, or shingles in adults 50 years of age or older. Consult a product monograph at gsk.ca slash shingrix slash pm for contraindications, warnings, and precautions, adverse reactions, interactions, dosing, and administration information. To request a product monograph or to report an adverse event, please call 1-800-387-7374. Learn more at thinkshingrix.ca. Pneumonia with respiratory distress and hypoxia is a common reason for admission to hospital among patients with COVID-19. For these patients, some clinicians have tried an intervention that's been used widely among ventilated patients with acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS. It's not a drug or oxygen, but prone positioning. This means having patients lie on their front rather than their back. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick, Executive Editor for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Kevin Venus, General Internist at University Health Network in Toronto. He has co-authored a review article outlining what is known about prone positioning for patients with hypoxic respiratory failure related to COVID-19. The article is published in CMAJ. I've reached Dr. Venus in Toronto. Hi, Kevin. Welcome. Hi, Kirsten. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start by having you tell me a bit about who you are and where you're working now. Yeah, sure. So um, as you said, I'm a general internist uh, that works in uh, Toronto in an academic uh, teaching center. Uh, I've completed my, really my undergraduate and postgraduate training all in Toronto and um, have now stuck around. Um, my main clinical activities include uh, inpatient general medicine on the, on the medical wards and uh, during the current pandemic state that we're living in that includes uh, the, the COVID ward from time to time. Otherwise, I also attend in the uh, ambulatory clinics and on the medical consultation services, which mostly deal with perioperative medicine. This intervention of prone positioning or putting patients on their front is something that used to be used in a, in a very discreet setting, usually ventilated patients with ARDS in the ICU. Can you tell me how and why things have evolved such that physicians are using this in non-intubated awake patients who are not in the ICU. Yeah, and so the the supine position or having patients on their back is sort of the default position that everybody's familiar with. This is how we usually relax at home in bed or on on the couch, uh, for example. Uh, It's comfortable. And in the uh, hospital setting, there are benefits to this beyond comfort because the patient's anterior chest is available for uh, imaging studies or monitoring leads. You know, their, their limbs are easily accessible for venipuncture or IV lines. The prone position has been used uh, really uh, only in the intensive care setting consistently. And the recommendations or suggestions that uh, the prone position might be beneficial for 
uh, patients with uh, hypoxic respiratory failure from COVID-19 are really drawing on the expertise uh, that's been gained uh, from the population of intubated patients in, in ICUs. Specifically, as you mentioned, uh, patients who have uh, ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome, um, there's a wealth of strong randomized evidence that has shown that patients who have um, severe hypoxic failure of this kind benefit from uh, prone positioning. And I think some of the excitement about prone positioning being uh, extrapolated to other patient populations and patients who aren't intubated um, also has to deal with uh, some of the understandable um, anxiety uh, that healthcare workers and um, health systems researchers have about the potential for COVID-19 to overwhelm healthcare resources and critical care beds. So I think that you've, you've touched on something very interesting there with the COVID-19 pandemic and the overwhelm of ICUs and, and hospitals. It seems like people have been willing to innovate at a kind of faster rate than you might usually. And so extrapolating this prone positioning to the non-ARDS, non-ICU setting could be classed as an innovation. Yes, it it could be. Um, And I think that um, there's certainly been an appetite both from the medical scientific community and also in the population, public population uh, at large, to look for innovations um, that may uh, you know, that obviously will help patients who have this uh, new disease that we're still understanding. We've seen this play out a number of times, um, especially during the early months of the pandemic, with uh, many potential drug therapies being used um, very quickly, maybe without uh, the same amount of oversight or randomized trial evidence that uh, we usually try to ascribe to. Um, and so, I think it certainly could be viewed as an innovation, but we also have to exercise, I I think, some restraint as as researchers and medical uh, professionals um, to make sure that uh, we're not adopting something without giving it the scrutiny it deserves. And I think that's where your article is great, because it really delves into, you know, what is the state of the evidence that we have for COVID-19 versus ARDS, and how are we trialing this, um, and what evidence is emerging, and what don't we know? So the prone position, I mean, if you think of going to visit a patient in hospital, you expect to find them reclining on their back in their bed, um, and having someone lie on their front It's not something that you expect to see. And if I think about if I were to lie on the couch on my front to try and watch TV, that would seem like it would be really uncomfortable. So how does prone positioning affect lung function in such a way that it would make lung function better? Yeah, so this is a very interesting topic, and there's some really complex physiology um, that goes into understanding the benefit of prone positioning for those who have hypoxic respiratory failure. Um, And it's even made more complex in intensive care settings when patients are receiving positive pressure ventilation. So for patients who are spontaneously breathing and not intubated, there are a few sort of key physiologic uh, principles that are important to understand understand the benefit. Really the first is the effect of gravity. And so if you're supine lying on your back, then uh, the heart and the mediastinal structures will follow gravity and fall or shift slightly posteriorly back onto the lungs, which adds a compressive pressure to the lungs. Um, As well, um, 
while supine, the liver and intra-abdominal organs can also shift superiorly to compress mostly some of the posterior lung zones and the lower lobes. Um, if you're prone, then gravity doesn't reverse, but the effect on your um, intrathoracic and abdominal organs is reversed. And so in that position, the heart and mediastinum uh, shift anteriorly instead uh, towards the chest wall, and there's a decrease in the shift of the intra-abdominal organs. Overall, this results in less lung compression and less alveolar collapse and atelectasis. When there is this compression and um, alveolar collapse, what uh, can be accentuated is a ventilation perfusion mismatch and uh, increasing rates of hypoxia. Uh, the pulmonary perfusion is mostly directed towards the posterior lung zones, regardless of which position uh, the patient's lying in. And so if um, you're able to better oxygenate the posterior lung zones while prone, um, then you decrease the amount of ventilation perfusion mismatch. Another consideration uh, relates to the expansion of the chest wall. And when you're lying on your back or in the supine position, um, the expansion is somewhat more limited because um, the lateral and posterior chest wall um, is against the, the bed or gurney. Um, however, when you're prone, uh, the anterior chest wall movement is restricted. And since most of the uh, lungs are positioned posteriorly, having increased movement of the posterior and lateral chest wall allows for expansion or greater expansion uh, relatively of these larger lung zones. Um, so those are some of the main considerations um, from a physiologic perspective that can explain how prone positioning can improve uh, oxygenation. So. Considering um, this potential for improving ventilation and reducing ventilation perfusion mismatch in the lung, at what point should we be thinking about placing patients in the prone position? Early on in their hypoxia or later on? And how should we do it? Is it uh, continuous or is it episodic? Yeah, so this is uh, one of the uh, great unknowns uh, or current unknowns, unfortunately. Um, in terms of when we should position patients into the prone position, we really don't know for those who are not intubated. Uh, what we do know from a large wealth of randomized, uh, robust data uh, for patients who are intubated in the ICU with severe ARDS, um, these patients benefit from prone positioning of 12 or more hours per day. Um, and this is now standard of practice in intensive care units um, all over the world. Uh, however, for non-intubated patients, um, as we're talking about, it's really unclear at what time to, um, or what time is best to initiate prone positioning. Um, it may make intuitive sense that patients who maybe aren't yet hypoxic are less likely to benefit, um, but there's simply no data to that um, regard yet. Uh, some data has suggested that prone positioning uh, can decrease patients' uh, respiratory rate and work of breathing, um, which may be able to decrease the risk of them developing something known as patient self-induced lung injury, uh, which is another concept born out of the ARDS literature. And this essentially means that with increased work of breathing, there can be uh, an increase in the negative intrathoracic pressures and actually a um, pressure-related uh, injury to the lungs, which may worsen uh, their course as they get more sick. Um, but whether or not this means that prone positioning should be adopted earlier or later in one's disease course, um, if they're not intubated, uh, isn't known. 
And then I think the second thing that you mentioned, Kirsten, was, you know, how long should people be in the prone position and, and sort of for what duration? Um, and again, as I mentioned, we know that for patients with uh, severe ARDS, um, there have been randomized studies and meta-analyses that have shown that um, people benefit if it's greater than 12 hours per day. Um, however, uh, for those who are not intubated, we, we just don't know. And so a lot of the observational studies right now um, have very heterogeneous prone positioning protocols. Uh, some use a total number of hours per day as a target. Some use um, different uh, episodes of prone positioning of certain durations um, in, in their studies. Uh, and so there's not a lot of consensus right now. And I suppose it's important to emphasize that a, that a patient that's not intubated is awake and therefore um, tolerating being on their front and possibly with, you know, um, having to turn their head from one side to another can be difficult. So that may limit how long they can stay on their front, I imagine. Yes, definitely. Um, in, in the ICU, in the critical care setting, um, you know, these intubated patients are usually heavily sedated and may be receiving neuromuscular blockade and uh, be effectively paralyzed as well. And so um, there's not uh, the same uh, level of conscious discomfort uh, that patients who are not intubated um, may experience. And this um, discomfort, which is usually musculoskeletal in nature, uh, related to shoulder discomfort, neck discomfort, um, back discomfort, is uh, been consistently seen as a potential limitation to um, implementing this intervention on medical wards per se. So to delve a little bit more into this this positioning issue, is it something that has to be quite carefully done? And, and how do you mitigate against the difficulties or, or harms of putting a patient in a prone position? So again, I think there's um, a lot of experience being drawn from uh, the intensive, uh, intensive care units and uh, critical care settings. Um, you can imagine that placing somebody in the prone position, um, if they have an endotracheal tube and uh, perhaps central venous catheters and other indwelling devices, um, while they are sedated and paralyzed, is a significant logistical uh, feat. Um, and requires many people to, um, to complete safely special training. Um, for patients who are conscious, um, not intubated, breathing spontaneously, um, ideally, they're also going to be able to um, do most of the maneuvering and change in position themselves um, in bed. And so the staff who are looking after them should be uh, aware of, you know, maybe a, a safe sequence of events about how to instruct them to turn in bed, for example, uh, but also to be uh, mindful of things like Foley catheters or IV lines or monitoring leads um, so that they don't become tangled up um, in the patient's bed. Um, and then the other uh, important piece is, as we are talking about comfort or, or mitigating discomfort, um, is for appropriate padding uh, with pillows, rolls, or, or extra sheets, for example, under uh, the pelvis, chest, um, other pressure points um, to try to make it as comfortable for the patient as possible. And I think you mentioned in the article that, that positioning a couple of towel rolls un, under the pelvis actually has the added benefit of elevating the abdomen so that you have less compression of the abdominal contents into the chest. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, so it sort of has two benefits. It uh, increases comfort for the patient. Um, and then also by decreasing uh, direct pressure on the abdomen, um, as we were talking before, uh, is, is another way to uh, decrease that uh, shift of intra-abdominal organs up towards the thoracic cavity, um, which uh, will decrease the amount of lung compression uh, that's going on. I think the other thing that's important to mention is that uh, especially after the first uh, episode of prone positioning, the staff who are looking after the patient should monitor them uh, to ensure that there's no worsening of their respiratory status um, for probably the, the, the first 10 to 15 minutes, although there's not a clear guideline about that yet. And this is one area where remote monitoring systems can be useful um, if there's efforts being made to conserve personal protective equipment or infection control concerns. Are there any patients for whom prone positioning is not recommended? Yeah, so there's, there's a few um, specific uh, patient populations where uh, this maybe should be avoided. Um, and again, a lot of this is being drawn from the intensive care experience. Um, so patients who have um, traumatic injuries to their anterior chest um, or face should avoid the prone position. Um, if there's been a recent um, anterior thoracic surgery or abdominal surgery, it should also be avoided. Um, or if there are uh, concerns for unstable uh, spines or unstable pelvic fracture, then this sort of movement of manipulation should, uh, should be avoided as well. Practically, uh, what we're also seeing is that a lot of groups who are conducting these studies are also choosing um, not to involve uh, patients who are on continuous cardiac monitoring, for example, as the, the, the leads um, are less accessible when somebody's in the prone position. Um, and then the other important consideration is um, patients who have a decreased level of consciousness or maybe aren't able to shift independently and sort of shift around in bed, so may get stuck in an uncomfortable or unsafe um, position um, without assistance. Finally, I think uh, those patients who um, are spontaneously breathing but have signs of uh, severe respiratory distress and may require imminent or emergent endotracheal intubation uh, should not be placed in the prone position uh, just for concern of uh, worsening their, their uh, work of breathing. And also um, in a previous life, I was an anesthetist. I, was, I would think if somebody looks like they might imminently need intubation, you're going to want them on their back. Exactly. And I remember in your article, you also mentioned pregnant patients. So I think that's not necessarily a contraindication because you point to a couple of case reports that say that, um, that prone positioning has been used successfully in pregnant patients, both with COVID-19 and not. So that would be something that you would think about being more logistically difficult, but not necessarily a contraindication. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, uh, it's, um, you know, not just in this area, but in many areas of medical research, pregnant patients um, have not been uh, routinely included in trials or, or, or studies. And so there's, uh, there's even less um, data available for this patient population. However, um, again, in the intensive care experience, prone positioning has been used successfully um, in, in patients who are pregnant, uh, including uh, late in pregnancy. Um, and uh, there are case reports um, coming out now uh, related to COVID-19 where prone positioning has been successfully used in both intubated and non-intubated patients um, who, who are pregnant as well. 
So there are, there are some other ways to uh, logistically make it a, a, a bit easier. You might need some more staff on hand, for example, um, or some uh, modified mattresses or, or, or padding to make it more comfortable for the patient. But, um, but from a medical perspective, um, it's, it's something to consider. What evidence exists about the effectiveness of prone positioning in patients who are hypoxic in general? In general, as, as we've talked a lot about before, uh, so for patients who are in the ICU and are intubated with moderate to severe ARDS, uh, prone positioning has been consistently shown through uh, high quality randomized control t- trials and also meta-analyses uh, to be beneficial to reduce mortality if it's uh, completed for at least 12 hours a day. And this has now been widely adopted as standard of care practice for, uh, for these patients uh, internationally. Shifting to you know, the patients that we're focusing on today, uh, those who are not intubated, um, who are not critically ill, before the COVID-19 pandemic, this was not a question that many people were looking at. Um, there, uh, I should say that all of the data, um, both before and now during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, is observational in nature. Um, we don't have any randomized uh, data yet. Um, and it really is comprised of um, case studies, case series, and uh, mostly cohort, observational cohort studies. The, the current observational studies uh, tend to look at a few uh, different parameters. Um, one is the question of you know, whether or not prone positioning um, improves oxygenation uh, for, for these patients. And, um, and it appears to do so, again, with the caveats that this is non-randomized um, data. Um, there is still conflicting evidence coming out. Not all studies do show an improvement in either the oxygen saturation or the um, PDF uh, ratio, uh, if it's being calculated. And not all studies are showing a sustained benefit in oxygenation, either um, while people are then uh, reverted to the supine position or after um, longer durations of, of prone positioning. Another area that's being looked at is whether or not uh, the prone position will actually decrease the need um, for endotracheal intubation. And we're really lacking a lot of data uh, in this area. I think some of that is due to the fact that the decision to intubate a patient is not solely based on um, their current oxygenation status, but you know, other medical context is, comes into play um, as well. Um, but we don't have a good sense yet about whether or not um, prone positioning will, will help decrease uh, intubation rates for these patients. So you've been talking about observational evidence that's available and saying it's not randomized trial evidence at this stage for COVID-19. However, there are a number of randomized trials underway, as I understand from your article. Are you involved in one of those? Uh, yes, I am involved in one. It's called the, the COVID-prone study and uh, is being led by one of my co-authors, uh, Dr. Michael Freilich. This is a pragmatic uh, randomized uh, control trial, um, which uh, started in Toronto and is now uh, expanding uh, to other sites, uh, hospital sites, as well as some um, international sites, trying to answer some of these questions about um, whether or not uh, prone positioning for non-intubated patients is, uh, is beneficial um, in terms of reducing rates of hypoxia and also uh, patient symptoms. And to clarify, you're 
enrolling only patients who are not intubated, um, spontaneously breathing and awake? And um, what outcomes are you looking at? So we're looking at a a number of outcomes, including patient-centered outcomes such as um, comfort or discomfort. Uh, We're looking at um, oxygenation data. Um, You know, does this actually improve patients' um, oxygenation or not? Um, And uh, also looking at rates of um, complications, um, either uh, potentially related to prone positioning um, or um, trying to understand whether or not this will uh, delay or avoid patients uh, needing uh, admission to a critical care unit. At this point, with, with trials ongoing and only observational evidence available, what are some of the unknowns that really need to be answered? Yeah, so there are far more unknowns than knowns uh, at this point. And so I think they fall into a few major categories. Um, One is really uh, the question of how to best identify which patients are most likely to improve from this intervention. We don't really know, you know, how best to select patients to prone yet. How sick should they be? How hypoxic should they be to see a benefit? Um, When should we initiate prone positioning, uh, depending on some of these variables? How long should we um, administer prone positioning, either in terms of a total daily dose or uh, perhaps in discrete episodes uh, throughout the day? We also don't understand what the relative benefit of prone positioning is compared to other uh, interventions like uh, non-invasive ventilation options, including CPAP or high-flow nasal cannula oxygen delivery systems. There's been some studies that have shown that prone positioning has been beneficial only in conjunction with one of these other um, adjuncts, and so we need to try to tease that apart as well. Uh, We don't understand if prone positioning is going to actually delay or avoid intubation for these patients. And that's sort of the the, the biggest question that I think is on everybody's mind um, as we get concerned about the strain that this is placing on our our healthcare resources. And as well, in terms of healthcare resources, you know, how does, uh, or how would prone positioning affect healthcare costs if it does actually delay uh, or avoid people's admissions to intensive care units? Uh, then there could be considerable cost savings associated with that. However, if maybe uh, there are increased uh, use of uh, personal protective equipment for staff to help uh, patients uh, maneuver in and out of the prone position, um, then that could be a competing competing factor. So there's lots of unknowns at this time. Um, Luckily, there are uh, lots of uh, randomized uh, studies underway, um, which are hopefully going to address some Uh, these questions and and give us some of these answers. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, there were actually YouTube videos telling people how to put themselves prone to breathe at home if they got COVID-19 and they had to stay at home. So is this something that patients could try if they were ill at home, but not necessarily needing hospitalization? I mean, it's it's a really interesting question because uh, this this is out there in the public sphere now, right? Um, I think it was the New York Times who published uh, a month or two ago uh, in one of their their weekend editions, I think, a sort of um, summary of the at that time currently available 
therapies and potential therapies for COVID-19, including drug interventions and uh, non-drug interventions. And prone positioning was listed as something um, that basically they said people should try, right? And so there, there's a lot of public knowledge already uh, out there about this. Um, I'm sort of two, two thoughts about this as a, as a member of the public and as a physician who knows a little bit about physiology. Um, for a non-hospitalized patient who's not um, hypoxic, um, there's probably very little downside to try this at home safely, right? Many of us choose to sleep on our fronts uh, overnight uh, every day of the week. And so um, uh, there may be some benefit in terms of symptoms or feeling uh, feelings of dyspnea that are mitigated a little bit. Um, but from a perspective of a medical researcher, um, you know, could we, should we be officially recommending this? I, I really don't think that there's enough data to, uh, to sort of give that recommendation yet. Kevin, this has been a really interesting discussion. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks very much, Kristen. Uh, the pleasure is mine. I've been speaking with Dr. Kevin Venus. To read the article he co-authored, visit cmaj.ca. Also, don't forget to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts on SoundCloud or a podcast app. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick, Executive Editor for CMAJ. Thank you for listening. <laughs>